Hello everyone and welcome to Can't Afford to Record, the YouTube channel where we figure out the art of audio production together. I'm Robbie Miller and this is of course the podcast edition of Can't Afford to Record, where I take the opportunity to speak with folks in the industry, pick their brains and learn as much as I can. Today we are catching up with Mike Fasano. Mike has built a career for being one of the go-to guys for drum rentals and drum teching and is often in and out of those big studios where our favourite albums are made. He's helped shape the drum sounds for bands like My Chemical Romance, Weezer and Green Day, but that's just three bands from an overwhelmingly impressive list of credits. Mike has also played drums for artists like Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses and Don Felder from The Eagles, and right now plays for the psychobilly superstars, Tiger Army. Mike has a wealth of stories and anecdotes and just oozes passion and inspiration. You'll see what I mean in this interview. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to visit the video version of this conversation on the YouTube channel for more details about Mike and Can't Afford to Record. Mike Fasano, welcome to Can't Afford to Record. Um, drum tech of the stars and also a drum star in his own right in the wonderful band Tiger Army. How are you doing? I am doing well. Just trying to figure out all this... Uh magical internet web microphone audio you know because you know i'm a drummer and if you lose the <laughs> r uh, i'm just a dumber <laughs> well look we figured it out because we're speaking right now which is great um i'm so glad i uh we managed to convince you to come on here although credit to ryan roxy mutual friend of ours ryan roxy for uh, hooking this up um but the first question i ask everyone uh, is can you remember a time when you couldn't afford to record? Of course, of course. I mean, I I go back to the days of uh, um, cassette tapes and boom boxes, um, which boom boxes back in the day um, had an amazing compressor built in, so your band could be jamming and it would compress it down and you'd get these really great recordings. Not that I was making, I mean, this was just rehearsal tapes or whatever, or demos. Mm -hmm. um, this was prior to any kind of four track or, or anything like that. Um, but you would always get these great tapes and that's what I was listening to to reference parts or some that. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years later, they cheapened the parts in them and you couldn't, you couldn't have that easy access recording now you can kind of do it on your phone and it does a really well job but uh um, or a zoom product or or whatever but uh yeah no and uh but i do remember some of the first stuff i ever recorded uh was with this band called darcy's kiss and we did it all on um eight track in a garage a uh, quarter inch eight track wow in a garage and uh the funniest thing about that was shortly after that I had worked on a rancid record uh, up in up in up in uh, Outcome the Wolves up in uh, the Bay Area with Jerry Finn producing, and we were in a studio and this and that. I remember coming back home and listening to what we recorded on this quarter inch eight track with Darcy's Kiss in a garage. I had uh, went 
and heard the final like mixes of of rancid some month later this is all within a couple months and um it was weird that was the first time i realized what a mixer could do to to a band so we had all these tones like for rancid like and i'm sure we'll get into this later but you know sometimes if you have a fast punk rock song with rancid you would uh, have a crackier snare drum a slower song you might have a fatter tuned open snare drum to fill the space um and i remember going to epitaph records being with the drummer brett reed who was the drummer at the time in brett gurowitz's office on the, in the blue room or the blue couch or something and listening to this record and listening to everything back and it sounded so different um what had happened is the great andy wallace who mixed it um had added some samples and some things so those crispier snares for the faster stuff sort of got watered down the fatter snares for the slower stuff sort of got watered down so everything kind of the snare drum sound sounded great but from what we started with it was extremely different um and to me i think some of the charm left so going back with that being said when i heard our garage quarter inch eight track recordings for darcy's kiss um i was like wow this is really cool my friend who didn't have a obviously couldn't afford to record didn't have a studio didn't have a real thing we did this thing in his created this thing and to me i thought i could i was blown away how great it sounded we didn't sample anything we didn't have a mixer we didn't have a whatever it just sounded great for a recording we did in a garage so that's one of my my earliest memories of from the nothing the garage to the major studio with the major mixer with the major producer with the major label all that stuff um it it sometimes if you know how to use the no budget garage sometimes that's better to me it seemed better so there was a little bit more magic um in those recordings which i think is well fortunately or unfortunately becoming a cliched conversation isn't it it's about a lot of people are like we can add all that great stuff in later a lot of people are about all about the no let's get it right even before we hit record let's get this song and the sound that we want right now but the problem with that is that is very hard to then recreate should you you know you need to move all the stuff out the garage so the car can fit back in and then the next day need to reset it all up again sure unfortunately this was a a house with five band guys living in it Right. And the garage was the rehearsal room slash studio. But um, the old in the old days, and I say the old days, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even into the 2000s, it was all about getting, <clears throat> they captured magic back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then the 80s came and things became a little bit more processed and a little bit more under the microscope. But <clears throat> out of all of those those times it was always getting the best sound or the best performance especially in the 80s 80s 90s it was a thing and i remember everybody competing with whatever that song on the radio was you might be um you might be a punk rock band and you're gonna chase whatever the popular punk rock if it was a green day or a blink 182 that band newfound glory for example was trying to get their stuff sonically to sound like those bands um sometimes i was on sessions hearing somebody talk about 
maybe it was a punk band, but they were referring to, I want to say Taylor Swift, because that's the thing that's on my head. Well, we've got to do something like what Taylor Swift did, because that's what people are hearing. It's always been, over the years, everybody's been chasing everybody. And the Beatles, everybody chased the Beatles, right? It's it, even even if the bands aren't simple, like Green Day or or Blink or or New Found Glory aren't Taylor Swift, but they're they're going for that for some reason. Yeah, they're something that she had in a hit song that they're going to apply to what their recording style is. I've I've all I found that for a, a long time. It's always been sort of chasing what's popular, even though it might never sound like Taylor Swift from a Green Day, but yet. That's the the analogy. Yeah. Or vice versa. Maybe Taylor Swift copying Green Day or Blink or what are, one of these bands are. Yeah. So sonically trying to achieve the same sort of uh, sound, even though they could be two different genres and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And, that, and that's why certain people get involved in a record, a producer, an engineer, a mixer, or a certain studio. Um, or you hire a guy like me to come in and bring drums uh, that, we know will work to get this sort of uh, sound or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like, uh, you know, being a drummer and being that you do need to pick the right drums for these studio sessions that you're involved in. Um, getting the sound right, as we, as we were just talking about from the beginning, is pretty important. I feel like a lot of albums from the 90s really had that approach. I mean, I'm thinking about bands like Ben Folds 5, that first debut album, the first Fountains of Wayne album. It just, it almost seems like they just threw the mics up and just hit record and, and got all that room sound in there. And just, I don't know, there's, you know, they weren't trying to be pristine, crystal clear, every like recording note separately. It was right. like, there was like this, gooey sort of beefy sound of the 90s you know a guy like ben fold five for some odd strange re- reason i think i worked on one of his things maybe it was just ben folds and it wasn't the band i want to say i brought a drum set down and he played like everything and we did it at the old sound city studios um i don't know what it for but 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 then again you have a talented guy like ben folds you know, playing piano and writing and singing and all that stuff. That's the other thing too, is there's a, I mean, you could have, you could have the best studio, the best engineer, the best producer, the best band. But if you don't have a song, the song would be the source of where everything builds upon. In fact, I remember hearing the, the rancid demos. Let's go back to that outcome, the wolves. I remember hearing the demos and it was, it was Tim and a guitar and it, it's almost it, just the stuff without anybody else sounded so great. It was a good song. It was a, whether, you know, you're playing your guitar by the campfire or you're in the studio recording it with an orchestra. If the song is good, that's, that's, that's the whole start of it. It, you it know, trumps you have, everything else. If you have a shitty song, can we say shitty on here? Or, yes, or do you believe that? No. If you have a shitty song, it doesn't matter what the production is to it. It's not going to, not going to work and and so it's so source whether it's a a great sounding snare drum or drum kit or guitar song is the source yes do you know what i mean and then with that then there's a lot of ways you can go you could put a country angle to it a punk rock angle to it um a a, a hip-hop angle to it if that melody 
is there and those words are saying something, you can, there's a lot of ways you can go with it. Yeah, I I I have that uh, outlook too. The the song trumps anything else. You know, it, it it beats the production. If it's a great song, it will be very obvious. It's a great song, no matter what. Yes, you know for sure. Um, so. I do want to speak a little bit about your role in a, in a lot of recording studios. You're a go-to guy where you are in, uh, in LA and California. And um, when you get involved in a project like um, the Black Parade, My Chemical Romance, or you're involved in a Green Day record, who calls you up? Like, where do you get that? Like, is it, is it they're like, well, our guy here at this studio is Mike Fasano? Or are producers calling you? It's it's more producers, and um, if if um, if a if, a, if a producer doesn't know or an engineer doesn't know, and they're at a studio and they're having a problem, or they don't like who else they've hired prior, then and if they know me because I you know back in the day I was there twelve hours a day, twelve days in a row. You know what I mean on a record, or or whatever. So there were long days. So. There's a lot of time spent. So um, usually it's the producer who calls, um, you know, uh, and then or the studio saying, hey, uh, do you know about Mike or uh, what about Mike or Mike, blah, blah, blah. So could 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 help. Um, you know, it's funny. The technical precision in the studio is greater than what's happening live. So I've had to work for, I'm going to throw it back to, I'm thinking about a band, uh, MXPX, which Jerry produced. I remember they had their drum tech with them and I was working on the record and it was a few days, Conway Studios. And I met the drum tech and I think he was bummed at, he was bummed that he thought I was going to take his gig. And after this recording, I was going to go on the road with him. That was definitely not the case. But what was crazy is, he just stayed in the in the uh the lounge he didn't he wasn't even in the studio wasn't he wasn't being a part of of the session mm -hmm. and he wasn't being a part of like learning to see what i was doing and i was more than willing to say this is what i'm doing this is why i'm doing it and he just kind of took a back seat and maybe that was his age mm. or whatever um and his punk rockness like you know who are you and why are you doing this? And I, I feel excommunicated or something from the bench, sure. which was not, was not the case. And, uh, but, but the bottom line is I had to do what I had to do. I never went on the road with him. I never took his gig mm -hmm. and whatever. So um, it's just weird. It's like, I wish I had the opportunity to work with a really great drum guy or, or whatever to where I could learn some stuff. And, and I do my friends at the pro drum shop. Sometimes I get blown away when Stan's, working on a drum that's collapsible that can collapse into itself and then open back up and then you tune it. And it's, I it was like, I just, it just blows my mind. I know that's just a, that's a tangent to go on, but, or, or um, one of the tricks he taught me, if you ever put a Tom Tom uh, uh, into a snare basket, like kind of old school um, over the bass drum versus mounting it off the bass drum versus mounting it off the stand. You just set it into a snare basket. The funniest thing about that is um, sometimes we're holding a tom in your hand, doom, doom. You put it into the basket, doom, doom. It shortens out. Sometimes certain stands and certain drums shorten the note out. It's weird. So he told me this trick and he got this foam, which we used to put 
this foam on our crossbars of our BMX bars, this, this foam. And he'd cut it up and we put one little piece on each portion of the basket. And so it sort of floated the drum a little bit and it made the world a different. It, it was something so simple, something he came up with. And, uh, and I've used that many times when I've had the problem of the drum choking out right in the stand. So things like that, it's like I learned from that and I use it to this day. So anyways, going back to the kid, the drum tech from MXPX, not wanting to be there, that was just weird, you know? Mm. So... Um, but on the other side of that, I've been hired by some producers. They've completely picked my brain, asked me a million and one questions, more than I've said to them about what I'm doing, and then have never hired me again because they've got it figured out now. So, but, 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 but I'm still figuring it out. So how do you figure it out with one time using me? I'm still, I'm still trying to um make it happen you know so anyways no do you do you um do you ever end up end up getting sort of roped into the engineering side of things as well i mean like i guess i'm i'm interested to know if you come into a session i and uh i know this is maybe a really hard question because every session is different perhaps for you but could you maybe give us an example of what one session might be to another so are there times when you just like here's the snare drum, see you later. Or are there times where they're like, okay, Mike, we want you to put all the mics on this as well and, and, and mic it up like you know how you want these drums to sound? Oh, definitely not. I, okay. um, I'm hired just to do the drums. My business is only the drums. Right. Um, my knowledge is only the drums. Again, right. I've worked with the greatest engineers um, of course. that anybody can work with. And, you know, and, and, and some of the, your listeners or, or viewers might understand this. You can have um, you can have a, a coal microphone um, using two coals as an overhead. How you treat to run it through your console, how you treat to EQ it, how you uh, treat to use the farther room mics away, the, the middle room mics, how you blend all of that in a kit is not for me to tell you. I can't, oh, use a coal microphone on it. That'll sound great. It, it's not because there's you as as the engineer is is being an artist and how you want to work the chain, mm -hmm. how 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 your stuff goes through your console, what you EQ or whatever, however you're building it. So it's not for me to 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 say. And and I've been on sessions where a producer has. Um, I was on this weird session with a band called Metric, and JMJ was the producer, and Daryl Thorpe was the engineer. And JMJ had this, had the console, uh, the, you know, at, the, at East West Studios. The console was doing stuff, but then just beyond the console was the producer deck. And he had a little thing with a few faders on it. And it was a very colorful board with faders on it. And he was able to switch some stuff. And it was a little annoying for the engineer who had his thing going a certain way. And if the producer from the back, the backseat driver, even though he's really the, the man that you has to have everything the way he wants it, um, he's the person in charge, was sort of screwing with the EQs or the compression levels or the, the reverbs or the gates or the whatever, the close mic and the blends of mics. So 
that was a little weird. But no, I, I, I try to stay out of it. Uh, but what I can give them is I can give them the source. I can right. give them, if I hear what the song is, I could, if it's that faster song, that tighter snare, I'll give them three options that will work. Any one of those three, mm-hmm. slower, middle, whatever. I just got to get a hear it and see what the vibe of the song is, see how the drummer is, how he hits, what they were going for. Very occasionally, I'm um, completely off the mark, but once they tell me where they're going with it, mm-hmm. then I'll give them three options. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, But usually they trust that I have a vibe just because of the time I've spent in the studio um, and some of the stuff I've done with different bands and some of the drums that they know or cymbals or whatever, they trust that I'm going to get them there closer and quicker than being farther away. So right. um, no, I just, it's like I said, it's, it's just like when we were setting up for the, the podcast today, there was some things happening that were sort of became out of our control and we had to figure out how to, um, you know, make it happen, you know, right. and that's what happens in there. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm never the guy that, would say, oh, well, this drum set worked for this band, which has, you know, this band, which has nothing to do with this band, mm-hmm. you know? Um, um, it's just, it's it's all individual. I know the things that work. I know the ranges of stuff I can pull out of them. Um, and I have a bunch of stuff. So let's just say I'm, I'm hired on a session and I'm there, um, you know, all day and it's going to be five days. And let's just say we get into it and a couple of days in, I realized, oh, man, it'd be really cool if we had this vintage um, whatever kit for this thing or this one orchestra bass drum or this one field snare drum, parade snare drum. I can always grab it. We can bring it in once I get kind of get a vibe. But, I mean, that's the musician side of me, too, understanding music, understanding what it takes um, to get a sound, what it takes to fit a genre Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, so that's my kind of specialty. Yeah. Is bringing that to the table. Um, of course, sometimes, for example, I would say to them, the engineers or the producers, I would say, okay, we're, we're, we're using this 28 inch vintage Ludwig mahogany bass drum. We're going to do an overdub with it. When you hit that bass drum, sometimes four or five feet from the drum, is where the, the note really envelops and, and gets round and low. So, yes, of course, you can, multi, you can put a mic right to the kick drum, but then try one out here, try one far, you know, use your, use your ears to see where it's really getting round. Yeah. Um, walk and listen. I think a lot of guys, and my, my friend Joe McGrath and I, when Pro Tools started happening, Joe McGrath was Jerry Finn's engineer for years. We would kind of joke because a lot of the kids coming up doing Pro Tools were, we would call them engine eyes or eyes engineers because all they were looking at were um, wave files mm. on the Pro Tools versus really listening to, oh, shoot, something's distorting or something's, you know, not sounding as full as it could be, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and that just, that's, that's, those guys are coming from an old school. I'm coming from, I got to work with people on tape when they were doing tape, you know, mm-hmm. and then it became aid at and then it became pro tools or whatever but um, right so i would just give a suggestion hey put this mic on this big bass drum farther out listen to where it envelops that sounds cool i um you know because sometimes you mic a snare drum with 
two snare drums on the top mics, one on the bottom. Sometimes guys mic the sound hole of the snare drum because they want to get that air popping um, thing. Sometimes a bass drum has a PZM microphone laying on a pillow inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, a Beta 52 also inside. Uh, another mic right outside on the front head, farther out. Sometimes they even put a kick mic side mic. Sometimes you could have three or four mics on a kick drum. I, I mean, and they and it's a blend of all that stuff. It's know? quite amazing that, um, and I guess it's really cool for you as well, though, Mike, that you get to hear all your drum kits get mic'd up in different ways and get to start hearing the results. So that's even a little bit more of information that you can share with people like, well, this has been mic'd like this in the past or... Um, you're just getting to hear your drums in all kinds of different weird and wonderful ways. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, yes, I do. And it's great to hear other people. That's another thing too, is whenever I've played drums on a record or done anything, it's very hard for me to remember what snare drum I used, what cymbals I used, whatever. But when I'm working with somebody, I'm always jotting notes down. Mm. This song, this kit, this snare drum, whatever, just in case we have to refer back to it. Um, so it's great to hear these guys play, but also too, when you're not playing the kit and you're sitting in the control room and you're really hearing the drums isolated and how they're sitting in the track, then I can suggest, if something's, first of all, I don't suggest anything unless something's really wrong. If there's a vibe going and it's not necessarily the most perfect thing, but it's working in the big picture, then we're going. But if something's really wrong and we say, you know what, I think I have something better. Can we try this? You know? Um, I, it's kind of knowing when to speak and when not to speak, even though I'm, I've been blessed and I hate to use that word. I've been so lucky that the guys I work with want to hear if I have to say something, you know, but then again, I'm not telling them how to produce or engineer. I'm just, if something's Ryan Roxy once told me, and I'll never forget this. He said that I have a strong knack for the obvious. So when something's really obviously wrong, I, I, I have a solution for it mm-hmm. or I have a path to get to that solution. So mm-hmm. that's about the extent of me getting involved in any of that. But I also understand, like I said, again, cause I play, I understand song structure. I understand melody. I understand um, movement. I understand all of this stuff. I'm fortunate enough to have acquired over the years, a bunch of different options for that. And that's the whole thing is having options. And I would say to any drummer going in to record, Borrow a snare drum from a friend. Borrow cymbals from a friend. Bring your two snare drums. Bring whatever, because you never know what's going to work. It saves time. Maybe that drum that that you think is going to work that you have, and you have it for a reason, put your ego aside and listen to the thing that really works. It's about the big picture. The other thing, too, is all of a, a great sound is just opinion. You know, what's it's, it's, it's really truly just an opinion of... of um, of how is it going to fit for the situation? Do you know what I mean? So when you're an engineer and or a producer, I know producers that have to have, oh, we've got to use this guitar, or we've got to use my drum kit, or we've got to use this, because it's, the, it's their new purchase, it's their new thing, it's whatever. Not necessarily that it's the right thing or the wrong thing, but there's like an ego involved. Like, I've got yeah. to use this. Um, or I paid money for it. Sure. So I'm sure. going to use it. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, basically um what's going to be the best thing to fit the situation for what we're doing whether we're darcy's kiss in the garage in van eyes on you know uh, uh, quarter inch 
eight track tape or we're in the big lush studio of uh capital records with um whoever mm-hmm. like you know it's it's what's going to be the best thing when just talking about what's going to be the best thing and different gear and equipment selection and if you haven't got the equipment then you know make connections borrow yes. equipment do what you can because you never know when uh or at least or let people borrow your equipment because you might not know when you need it in uh in it the other way around sometime in the future but um i would love i did hear the the figures on another podcast on ryan roxy's podcast you're on but i would love to know the figures of your drum selection and your your storage space if you would be kind enough to share them sure of course well i mean it's funny. I think I, on Ryan's podcast, I think I said I had a hundred drum kits and I checked myself and probably over the years I've had a hundred drum kits kind of come and go right. until I found the right ones. I'm at, I've counted, I'm at about 58 drum sets now that I still have. Okay. But I have some friends that have a kit at their place, friends that, so there's a few other kits around. Um, but I have, um, I've amassed this collection of drums because i started getting calls there's a there's a few guys doing it in town a few of the big companies and i became an alternate to those companies because i was bringing something different to the table we're all doing the same thing but i was doing something different that people liked and i was fortunate enough to work you know from guns and roses to green day the first couple records i ever did were within six months of each other so I started um, getting the right things for the right uh, situations. Um, I started out using pork pie drums. That was the only drums that I had. And people were kind of blown away. They'd never heard of them. They sounded great. But I think more than anything, them being great drums, I think it's just because I knew how to tune. For some reason, I don't know how I know how to do it. I don't know why I know how to do it because I don't have anything of that in my family musical or or, or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, like my dad or whatever. Um, but for some reason, I know drums. I know how to do tuning. I know how to make things translate from the tracking room into the control room or in in uh, in the Darcy's Kiss situation, the control room and the tracking room with the same thing in the garage. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, no. So um, I, started real, I started hearing other producers saying, do you have these kind of drums? Do you have these kind of drums? And uh, and I immediately just was smart enough to put everything that I made back into buying gear. So that's why I have, you know, 200 snare drums and 58 drum sets and whatever, because I was the option to the other guys in town that were doing it. And um, of course, and, and I think I said this on Ryan's talk, I used, you know, there's the 10 or 20 usual snare drum requests. Mm-hmm. And then there's the 10 drum sets that are the usual out of all of this. But if something, somebody's doing something special that I hear, then I can say, oh, I have that. Let me bring that down. You know what I mean? I have, I have a great John Bonham kit. I've used it twice in four years. You know what I mean? Every four years, I use it two times. But right. that's the kit to have. It, and this is the most important thing, source, source, source. If you need a piccolo snare drum, a cracky snare drum, get a piccolo. Don't try to tune a big fat snare drum into a piccolo. It'll never have that character. And the the old adage I could say to guitar players that everybody knows guitar stuff is like, you can't make a Strat sound like a Les Paul. 
Right. And you can't make a Les Paul sound like a Telecaster. I'm sure there's some kind of uh, pedal effect or outboard or something that you could, but it would never be right. It would never be pure. So it's all source. Source is the most important thing. Source, source, source. No matter a microphone, snare drum, guitar, amp, uh, Pro Tools, outboard gear, mm -hmm. you know, it's all source. So would you, um, let's say, okay, you've had your, uh, you got your, uh, your next session coming in or someone's like, yeah, hey, Mike, we want to get you on this. No problem. I can do it. What kind of thing are you after? We're after this. Okay, well, I've got this drum kit and I've got, I'll bring these five snares with me. And, and you know, that's what I used on this record. And I think, you know, obviously you're, you're like a consultant. You're saying, well, I oh. think you should, you should use this because, and that's why they're coming to you. But do you ever think the morning of, I'm going to take that curveball snare drum with me just in case? You know, it's funny. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's funny is like sometimes you'll have that list that you think, or, or maybe this producer or engineer has used things that he likes. But then maybe one word might have been said, mm. like in this conversation that wasn't necess necessarily directly talking about the drums. It was talking something about the band or something. And I will have maybe jotted that down on my notepad and bring something because I heard that mentioned. Mm -hmm. When I'm on a session, I'm all ears. I'm listening to the producer. I'm listening to the engineer. I'm listening to the bass player. I'm listening to the singer. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to the guitar player because mm -hmm. all of these guys now are producers themselves right. in, in, in their own mind. They saw it on, uh, on YouTube and now they're producers and they've got it figured out. Right. And, um, and I'm telling you, I still don't, I'm still searching. I'm still on the quest. I'm still trying to figure it out. I know what I know, but I'm still obsessed with it. I so, think with that being said, sorry, yeah. sorry. With that being said, the drummer is sometimes, I've got my bond with him. I'm trying or trying to have a bond with him. I'm trying to have his back. I'm trying to be make him. He's sort of the last guy I listen to because he's got to answer to all those guys. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he's the first guy I listen to, but ultimately the drummer's the bottom of the totem pole. Unless, of course, you're Josh Fries or, or somebody <laughs> like that who does it right. sessions and, you know, amazing, whatever they do. But, but the drummer, it, it's, it's about every, it's about the whole, I try to encompass what everybody's saying and to get a vibe. Cause I have the options for somebody. If I hear it and know something will click in my head. Before we move on about learning more, um, do you have a, a snare drum symbol? Do you have a drum, which you just know has sounds amazing. It sounds amazing on pretty much all the sessions, but it would be one of those surprises when you turn up with it, when they're like, are you sure? And you're like, I'm telling you, this sounds great. Like I said, I have the usual suspects. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. It's, a, it's sort of a tough question right. just because, I mean, I could bring something super weird in and yeah. it's so weird that they might go, oh, wow, that's that's cool. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, I'm like the easy button. So I could have the weirdest thing and it yeah. could work. Unfortunately, I kind of have a, 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 a pass, if you will, if I were to do that. I can tell you something uh, in that story. I remember I was working with Weezer. Rick Rubin was the producer. We were at a, a place in Malibu called, um, oh God, it's the, uh, it's the band, the, the famous band house uh studio i forget what it's called there was a band a band in the 70s called the band 
Oh yeah, I love the band. Called, yeah, yeah. It's called, oh, it's the called, house Big Pink. Called Shang, Shang, no, it's no, called no, no. Shangri-La Studios. Uh, we're there with Weezer. We're in this this studio at the house. Um, two snare drums that are the most popular, most requested, most ninety-nine percent of the time work on everything. Right. Um, are are the 1976 and a half by 14 Ludwig Black Beauty, which is a brass shell, which is lacquered brass, a black. It's called the Black Beauty. And the Tama Bell brass, which is super heavy, weighs about 25 pounds, uh, made out of what you would make a bell out of. Mm-hmm. Um, bell brass, uh, 80s bell brass. I remember we were on this session. We Pat was in a studio what I hadn't really worked at before. Pat was in a corner of the room on the floor Scott was across, the bass player was across from him, Rivers was across from him, sort of like in a big living room of a house, and then a separate control room. And that's that Black Beauty snare drum wasn't working. It just was not working. And I was like, I started to freak out. I was like, oh my gosh, I had 10 other snare drums there with me. And I was like, man, this is not happening. And I was just kind of getting panicky. And um, I thought, well, let me try the bell brass. See, we're kind of already into it. I can't break the flow up, but we hadn't really started getting tracks of the song. Right. And it just wasn't happening. It's for some reason that corner of the room on the parquet wood floor with whatever was around, with maybe all of the band guys around, because the studio wasn't an open space, so there was an ambience. It was maybe drier because of everything that was in the room. That wasn't working. I I was like... I was freaking out. And I, you know, I had been doing it for 10 years already. And so I just went to the snare drum rack and I thought to myself, well, this doesn't sound like this should be a wood drum track. So I went to the least snare drum I think would work and different material, not bell brass or brass and got a wood snare drum. And I forget what it was, put it in the spot and it just worked. It sounded great. Wow. And did everyone agree? Was everyone? Yes. yes. Wow. And, and it was just like a weird thing. But to me, I'm panicking. Brought the drums to another studio, put them in the spot of the studio, and everything was fine. And I was like, Phew. but there's circumstances. There's frequencies in the room. There's gear in the room. There's all this stuff. So nothing's guaranteed. <clears throat> even, even though the majority of the times <clears throat> you know what to get, you know, what the instrument is going to sound like. You know what I mean? naturally at source do you ever get on so many sessions and obviously you've you've got such an impressive gear selection and uh you know it's your it's your work right this is your livelihood have to have these drums and it's my day gig it's your day gig yeah you've got two gigs uh tiger army in the evening and uh and day session gigs with uh with all your drums but you must have drummers say to you mike please sell me this that must happen do you uh, ever yeah, get? So I get well. I get more like, uh, yeah, uh, probably not going to make it back to your storage unit. Right. You know, it's more <laughs> steal, stealing than than selling. So you know, what's funny is I have a lot of people ask me, "Come on, you got an old? I just need a shitty old snare drummer. I just need, need a little. You know, it's like unfortunately, I don't have anything shitty. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's the crazy thing. But mm-hmm. part partially having such a an immense amount of drum kits and why 58 drum kits and mm-hmm. 200 snare drums because i do have doubles and triples of mm-hmm. the bell one. brasses and, and and the usual suspects so if there's 20 drums you know that i i or 10 drums and i have triples of them you know that's already you know 
a lot of the same drums. Mm -hmm. But I do have great snare drums to cherry pick and great kits to cherry pick. But the way that the business is now, for me, from working for 10 years straight, uh, five to seven days on a record, let's just say, on average, completely renting a drum set, being there to tech 12 hours a day, it's it's gone to, because the budgets have gone. It's gone to five to seven hours. It hasn't gone to three days. It hasn't gone to to four days. It hasn't gone to two days. It's gone to hours. Mm. So it's it's now what's happening is you need the faith of what the producer knows, like the Gretsch kit, the Black Beauty, the Bell Brass, the Zildjian cymbals. You know what I mean? Um, because they don't have the time to experiment like we used to right you know what i mean so that's unfortunately you know your work this podcast is can't afford to record even the big guys can't afford to record now if you're metallica or green day or u2 you can afford to record but the majority of the people like with a record deal now i don't even know what a record deal means anymore let's just say the let's just say the average band not the green days or metallicas but let's just say the average band got $100,000 to make a record. And they could do that record in um, three to four months. Now these record deals are $15,000 to $25,000. They've got to do this record in three weeks, top to bottom. So when I was there for five to seven days, now I'm there for five to seven hours. Right. You know what I mean? So that's yes. just the reality. So so you know what's great is we're everybody's in this can't afford to to record situation. Even the even the band bands, the the right. bands that have deals, you know. Um, yeah. So um, it's it's so it's all about being a fit. Even when we had many days to do a record, it, it's still it's still being efficient, getting the right thing there, getting right sound there making it happen, leaving options, having options, um, and making sure everybody's stoked with what's happening. So do you um, just, I, I want to move into a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that you are keen to learn all the time. You know, you've said that a couple of times now, you never stop learning. I want to, no. I want to learn as much as I can, which is really honestly what I'm trying to do here of like, I played, you know, I've played guitar for a long time. I've, I've also, you know, definitely recorded a lot of cool stuff and that I'm really proud of but um how can I learn more about it how can I not just stop there how can I how can I do this more um I guess my question for you is who are go-to mentors for you you know you're a go-to person people will say Mike Fasano he's your man he's gonna figure this out but when you need help with maybe recording or some drum advice, do you have any people that you, you know, you would call up and say, Hey, I've got this right now. What would you do? You know, um, uh, definitely my friend, Fred Archambault, which we're at his studio. Yes, we are um, yep. doing this, um, where I do a lot of the, the recording stuff for myself and bands I'm in. Um, he's a guy I pick his brain a lot about stuff. He's, he's funny. Mm -hmm. He's smart. Mm -hmm. and he is disarming like if some if, if i'm stressed or somebody we're working with is stressed he just has a way and he loves drummer he has the best relationships with drummer that's what i i'm a drummer okay and i'm a and yes i'm a drum tech that's my business that's my thing i have that's my day gig um but he's always been really helpful for me um to bounce stuff off of um bouncing off like how does this i got this thing 
How does this sound? How is it reacting? Mm. He's an honest ear to me. Also, I have a friend named Joe Barisi, who's, who's an amazing producer, engineer, mixer. Joe, I remember I bought a couple snare drums from a guy and I spent a lot of money, like six grand on these two snare drums. Wow. Um, and um, we were doing a Buck Cherry thing. Uh, Buck Cherry was doing some music for a movie. And I remember bringing um, the snare drum into the studio and I said, God, I just got this snare drum and it was a Zildjian Noble and Cooley. Um, it was basically the drum alloy was uh, Zildjian from the cymbals alloy made into a drum. And um, I brought it into the studio and I set it up into the place and, and I just knew, and, and Joe is extremely no bullshit. And I just, I didn't know, I said, I got this drum, Joe. I didn't say it was a lot of money. I didn't say whatever. I've always wanted one of these. I've been reading about them and they're kind of rare. There's only, there's less than 160 of them made and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'd love to give it a try if there is a song that we could try it on, on this, this session, which was a few days and we had some time and we were at the, the great old Sound City mm -hmm. prior to um, Dave Grohl ruining, ruining it with the movie. Because <laughs> it was really about Dave Grohl and not the studio, but um, uh, and I, I put the snare drum up for a track a couple of days in because we—that's the other thing too—is you kind of when you have the, the time every every day, your ears react to the room, uh, get more familiar. You as an engineer might change a microphone on the snare drum or the overhead or or the toms, you know? When I was working with Jerry, there was always constantly tweaking. You'd never, never change the sound if you're still cutting tracks to that one song. But, um, but you can experiment a little and you just kind of refine and you tweak and you farther mics, closer mics. So, so basically, um, it was the time we put the drum up and, and Joe said, that sounds great and let's use it. And we used it on whatever, some track for a movie mm -hmm. thing. And um, it was great. So I got the approval, but I also didn't, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't bring it in the first thing. I didn't, I just, you know, you gotta let this, the, everything settle. And then your ears are, know what's going on in the room, right. in the control room and put this in. So it works. So Joe's a guy, <clears throat> Joe, now where, where, where Fred is, uh, you know, uh, very accommodating mm -hmm. and making whatever Joe, if there's bullshit, he'll just say, dude, that's bullshit. Right. No way, man. I'm not going to take that. You know, right. I don't want this guy in the session. I you know, you know, we're, we're Fred is different. So I have these two polar opposite great engineer guys I work with. I also work with a great guy named Doug McKean. And if you guys don't know who Doug McKean is, investigate his work. He did um, Green Day's American Idiot, My Chemical Romance, uh, The Black Parade. And those are a couple of the records I always get compliments on. And uh, Doug is great. Another super funny guy. Doesn't give a shit. Nothing stresses him out. Could be doing a million things and have the most off-colored sense of humor to disarm everything that's going around in the session, but yet nailing it. So Doug's great. So those are guys that I can trust, um, whatever. On the other hand, I re uh, going back to a situation... I remember I got hired to do some drums for a band with two producers I've always wanted to work with um, and I'd heard about. Um, I didn't know them and I, but the, I won't mention their names, mm -hmm. but um, uh, we were at a, a place I had done sessions at and they had used another drum company 
uh, to do the rentals for many years. That's you know the Coke and Pepsi of the drum rental business. That's the guy. That's who they use. Um, and I was just a I was just an alternate. I was just a you know I was an indie. I was Joan Soda. If you know what Joan <laughs> Soda is, I was I was bubblegum Joan Soda, and they were going to try me. So um, so I went in the session. I remember I was playing drums, and I had a I had my pork pie kit, which was my go to kit prior to to uh, you know knowing that I should bring other stuff if somebody asked for it. Um, it was my kid. I had worked in that room several times already. And I just remember I was playing for, uh, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And, and I, I kind of hear them in the talk back, but boy, something's just not sounding right. Some, something's not sounding right. And I was just like, I, it's, it got to a point where I was like, gosh, I'd pull the headphone off with one ear and I'd listen and I'd play and I'd listen and I'd listen to the comments back. And, and I said, um, I don't know, it's, maybe come out here and just have a, you know, have a listen. No, you know, it's just, I think we should have, we should have called the Coke and Pepsi of the drum rental business in Los Angeles and, and got the blah, blah, blah kit. Okay. And I was like, okay, now I'm defeated. Here's guys that I really wanted to work with. And I, and here's a thing that's just not working. Even though I'm hearing it going, gosh, it sounds like it's supposed to sound in here. Of course I couldn't go in and listen to anything because I was playing and the control room was not visible. And, um, and then I hear like two and a half hours later, Oh my God, there it is. It's there. It's back. And I stopped playing. I said, what's wrong? Feeling dejected for 45 minutes, you know, going, um, I could have brought that kit, blah, blah kit. If you would have asked me, you said, bring your thing, do your thing. This is your thing. They didn't see the kit. They didn't hear the kit that they, got from the Coke and Pepsi of the business. And um, it was something different, whatever. And then, then there's the, oh my God, oh my God. And then, and never coming in to listen to the drums. Um, and said, and I, was, I said, what happened? They go, oh, it sounds great. And I said, well, what happened? And then they said, oh, we, something was out of phase. We just flipped the phase on the overheads and everything's And Now, listen, Robbie, I, like I said, I'm not an engineer. I don't want to be an engineer, but I learned something about phase that day. Yeah, And I also learned, instead of doing the dick dance for two and a half hours, yeah, have them come in. Please just come in and listen. Right. So you can tell me right here. Not that I'm saying it's right. right. Not that I'm saying I'm right. I'm not just listening here. Because of that, I learned. It could be a phase thing. It could be a microphone thing. Could be the, the things off asses. Could be two microphones crossed. You know, but I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer. I don't, like I said, I don't want to be. Right. But I learned from that day. But I sweat bullets. I felt like shit. I was dejected. And I had been doing it for 10 years. And like right. I said, still learning. Yes. I don't know everything. I don't want to know everything. I mean, I do want to know everything, but I don't claim to know everything. And that was the biggest, biggest, biggest lesson from right. these guys. And I worked with them a few more times and whatever. But um, it was just, but it was like, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, a path. Mm-hmm to get to something that I had no control over. Right. And then these, oh man, these are the best drums I've ever heard and blah, blah, blah. And, and that all came after, yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm used to hearing that. It's the, <laughs> it's the stuff like that, that that makes me go, why? Yes. You know? Anyways, yeah. sorry. I, I, no, I, that is a really, really good story. And, um, and yeah, and, and like I say, it's inspiring to hear you say, you know, after all these years, after doing all these sessions, I'm, I'm still learning and, and you still have takeaway moments and that 
is uh yeah invaluable i got one more question for you uh mike if that's okay um so f- could you maybe just explain what the different feeling is to you um to being on a session uh for you know something something you've been hired in for um what's the difference between that and i think i know but what's the difference between that and maybe you playing drums on a tiger army record now you say you have this hands-off approach obviously when you're on other sessions and you're the you know the the drum tech and you're you're there to supply the drums and to give be give feedback when asked but when you're playing drums in tiger army and you're recording your drums um do you get a little bit more detailed about microphones do you like to mess around with the placements what's what's the, the deal about that again very very lucky nick 13 our singer mm-hmm. guitar player that's how he found me i was right. drum teching on a tiger army record he saw right. that i had a swing to my playing he saw that I had something. He saw that I got great drum sounds. He saw that I hit the drums right. a long time ago. He put that in his bank when they had a problem with their drummer being shot and not doing, uh, not not being able to execute anything for a few days. Um, I got the call. I had tuned those drums. I had tuned the drums in that room. I was just telling you about the uh, the phase thing happening yep. that same studio, and uh, called Grandmaster in Los Angeles, which is gone now. But um, um. He ultimately trusts my sense um, of where I'm coming from. This last record we did, um, the last couple things, we used Ted Hutt, who's a fantastic producer, who I've worked for Mm. prior to being recorded by him in Tiger Army. So, And Ted um, Ted is a guy who's always in thought and sometimes a little bit poker face respectfully, um, because there's just a lot going on. He's not like a guy like, oh my God, that's wonderful and great and blah, 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 and whatever, um, where some guys are. Um, I worked with Nick Raskulinitz, uh years and years ago, and he was like, oh man, that's kick-ass, that's great, that's awesome, man, just real, whatever. And Ted just had a lot more things going on in his head. But um, So I was a little worried the first time I recorded with Ted as a drummer, because I know of the great drummers he's worked with, like Joe Sirois from Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and Mitch Marine, who played on the record before I got back in the band, Tiger Army, and Nick Solo record. Um, and these just great guys. And I just thought, well, I know what I got to play here. Whatever. And it's really weird. I think because, because Ted knew that I was going to bring great sounding stuff, appropriate, because we had worked out Mm pre-production for the session and i was going to be there to tune and keep everything from slipping he that that button was gone uh that that um that question was gone the 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 thing that where he turned into a guy like nick rasculinitz was he was cheerleading me on behind the glass and making me feel comfortable and digging what he, he became a different person to me as a producer Right. So I was really, really fortunate. And but 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 Nick, I've a long time ago I I I um passed the question mark with Nick. And Nick has complete tra- trust and faith and confidence. He knows I'm always thinking about making it better. He's he knows I'm always thinking for the best of the band, mm-hmm. the part, whatever. Of course, in pre-production, we do figure out what the parts are. We right. do figure out what the things are. But when it comes down to it, he's hired Ted. 
he completely trusts Ted. I'm his, was his drum tech years and years ago, and now his drummer. Right. Um, so we have a really great thing, and I'm so fortunate. I love what we're doing in Tiger Army. I mean, I wish because of COVID we're stuck now, and hmm. but um, we made a great record. We started touring on it, Retro Future, did U.S. and Can uh, Canada and um, Europe yeah. and Germany. Yeah. And then everything stopped. So we still got a lot to do with that record. I mean, yes. whenever that happens. But um, but uh, but I've been kind of nudging Nick a little bit. Like, man, let's look if we're gonna have a nine months or six months or a year off let's just start fooling around me and him he gets a little couple ideas me and him go in the rehearsal room we record it on our iphone we bring georgia our bass player in eventually to play on it we make an iphone demo talk about can't afford to record or too stupid to record because we don't know how to use <laughs> any of this stuff um that that'll be my podcast too stupid to record <laughs> with dumber mike fasano um but, i'll definitely um, be on that podcast because that's <laughs> definitely me too <laughs> but but um but yeah we, and we just get ideas i'd like i gotta approach him now it's six months of covid i've got to approach him uh, again about doing it i remember we were all deflated because we didn't know what was happening right. what this disease was this this virus was and um whatever but we yeah it'd be great because you know he comes up with riffs and and we formulate stuff together and, and uh, whatever. And so who knows what's going to happen. And then, you know, hopefully we'll get to, to work with Ted again yeah. and, uh, and go from there. But, I, but like I said, making, uh, putting a bow on this question, I've just been fortunate to have had the respect. Sometimes going in with Tiger Army and or if I'm working with somebody bringing drums to their session, I've been very lucky to have had respect and trust. And, and that's what gives you your confidence to to yeah. have that freedom and to and to not be worried about it or you know yeah. to, to deliver the best thing possible and that's what music's all about we're not digging ditches yeah we're, we're trying to make art yeah and we're trying to make this art affect people yes um positively you know so yeah Excellent. Well, look, Mike, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and uh, and the video today. I really, really appreciate it. It's been so great to hear um, your point of view and, and a couple of those wonderful stories about you being in sessions and having different experiences and different takeaways. It's it's really, really cool. I cannot wait to listen to this back while I edit it all and, and learn all of it again. It's the a lot of the fun part for me when I get to rewatch these interviews. But thanks so much. And um, yeah, I can't wait to come and see tiger army when you guys are back on the road and to hear new records and yeah it's going to be great so thank you for being on the on the show it was my pleasure being here thanks for asking me thanks for being interested no worries we'll speak again real soon all right see you robbie 